0: welcome to the leaders in payments podcast where we talk to c level leaders from across the payments landscape we'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments we will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top
1: it's when you listen really hard to customers that you're able to have insights that allow you to build a great product and a great business. It's not the other way around. It's not you build great technology and customers fall for it. It really has to start with a customer insight. So my first recommendation for somebody who starts in this industry is practice listening hard to the customer and truly understanding what they need.
0: Patrick Gautier, CEO of Convera, and he's my special guest on this episode, episode 227 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Myers. Patrick comes from a family of engineers and doctors, so it's no surprise that he started coding at the age of 10 and got a computer science engineering degree in France. Oh, and he has 27 patents related to payments. He moved to the U.S. about 30 years ago, and as they say, the rest is history. Convera was a division of Western Union, known as Western Union Business Solutions. According to Patrick, they make cross-border transactions easy so that a variety of businesses with global aspirations can grow with confidence. They serve customers in areas such as higher education, nonprofits, and companies that are in some form of imports and exports to service companies like travel and financial institutions. Patrick and I talk about his journey to the role of CEO, including his stints at Visa, PayPal, and Amazon. Tune in to hear the three megatrends that Patrick predicts will happen over the next 10 years. We've got a great episode ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Patrick. Thank you for being here and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a great opportunity.
0: So let's dive right in, if you don't mind, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that.
1: Sure. So I was born and raised in France, in the Alps. I come from a family of engineers and doctors, so no surprisingly, I'm a geek. I started coding around 10, got an engineering degree, computer science engineering degree in France. I moved to the US about 30 years ago for what was supposed to be a three-year stint. And then we extended a couple of times and suddenly we found that we had settled because the family had sort of planted its roots. I've worked in, in several industries. My first job was actually in industrial equipment for chip manufacturing. And I found my home in payment because I like businesses that are multifaceted and challenges intellectually and for which we can actually do great stuff. And I found that payment is a very nuanced business. It's a powerful business. I mean, money can power dreams. You know, For instance, at Convera, we help students study in foreign countries. And moving money or touching money is also complex from a technology standpoint, a risk and regulatory standpoint, from even how do you connect with customers, so marketing and sales standpoint. And I never looked past. I have worked at Visa and PayPal and Amazon, where I built Amazon Pay, and now at Convera. I love to build products and teams and businesses. My focus is always reinvention. As a matter of fact, I hold 27 patents related to payments. And so I'm always interested in how can we meet the customer need differently for a better outcome. Customer needs and payment, the fundamental needs don't change enormously, but the way we can accomplish them does.
0: So let's dive in and talk about Convera. So tell our audience what Convera does.
1: Yes, Convera most recently was a division of Western Union. It was known as Western Union Business Solutions. What we do is we make cross-border transactions easy so that a variety of businesses with global aspiration can grow with confidence. And the key word here is make cross-border easy and enable our clients to grow with confidence. Confidence is super important in a world that is uncertain. It's uncertain in so many ways, like, what is the right technology? How do I deal with these ever-changing regulations? How do I manage risk? You know, risk related to volatility, risk related to fraud, risk related to all the aspects that can threaten the business. How do I manage change? So we help our customers navigate through that. We have really wide range of segments we serve. So from higher education to nonprofits to companies that are in some form of import export services company like travel. Financial institutions, especially, you know, the sort of second tier financial institution that do not have necessarily the means to offer this type of service to their clients. And we provide two fundamental types of services. So payments, in other words, spot payments, where we are able to basically provide a payment across currencies, across borders immediately and options, which is really about helping a company manage their FX risk over time. We can, you know, go from simple options forward to really very complex and sophisticated options. We're present in 22 countries. We have customers pretty much everywhere in the world, and we support over 140 currencies. So this is a well-established business that has been, in its various instances, serving its clients for almost 40 years.
0: I often hear and read that cross-border payments is difficult. What makes it so challenging?
1: Multiple things. I mean, first, the regulatory framework and the regulatory bars are much higher. To pass, In part because regulations and the start in the arriving country may be different, the structure of the banking system may be different, but also because you get into situation related to, you know, money laundering or sanctions and so on are particularly prevalent in cross borders. So for instance, when last year Russia invaded Ukraine, within hours, we had to implement a fairly exhaustive regime of sanctions and help our customers who had engagement with Russia sort of untangle their positions so that they would be themselves in compliance with the law. So that's one aspect of the complexity. A second aspect of the complexity is just the actual infrastructure and the things that you have to do to sort of convert money from one to another. The major currency pairs, the G10 currencies, there you have well-established ways to do it. As soon as you start to get in what we call the exotics, which are more the longer tail of currencies. It gets more complicated as a function of the differences in banking infrastructure that are involved and then the capacity also to, to trade for those currency. And the last thing is currencies fluctuate. And when you're doing a spot transaction, you don't have to worry about that. But many cross border transactions have a delivery time in the future. So I'll give you a practical example. Your construction company, let's say here in the US, and you buy steel from a mine, let's say in China. Well, when you buy that steel, it's not ready to be shipped on some warehouse. More often than not, it's still in the ground. And so by the time you received it, six to nine months have elapsed. And of course, the currencies from the buyer and the seller may have fluctuated in that time. And just to give you a sense of it, last year, which was a very, very high volatility year, the major currencies fluctuated within a band of plus or minus 22%. If you are a business that operates in single digit margin, you can't absorb these types of fluctuation. And so that's an added component of cross-border transaction complexity. And it's one that we help our clients solve for through hedging.
0: Okay, that helps clarify it. How do you go to market? Do you have a direct sales team or do you go through partnership channels or
1: both? Both. We have a direct sales team and we call on, you know, our clients again in all these different industries. And we also have a rich network of partners again in those various industries. Partners, for instance, are super important in the education industry. In many ways, financial institutions, banks are both clients and partners because often it's through them that we're also servicing their own client base. So partnering is super important. You know, in this business, like in most payments business, you can't do it alone. There's so many elements of the solution for the clients that you have to work with companies that provide complementary services to yours.
0: Right. What would you say makes your company different than your competitors out there?
1: I would say there's three fundamental things. First is our reach. Second is really our customer obsession, and third, our ability when it comes to compliance and risk management. So Reach, we are the biggest non-bank when it comes to global P2B payments. I said we're dealing in 140 currencies and pretty much are able to serve clients all over the world. That is important because while the majority of commerce takes place in the G10 currencies, most of our clients will always have parts of their activities that requires being able to transact with countries outside of the G10 group. And so our ability to service them as being one-stop shop across all of these different countries and counterparties is super important. Second, customers is our top priority. Our corporate values, the first one, is customer champions. And we define ourselves as what we do starts and ends with the customer. And our purpose in life is to continuously understand better what they need and serve them accordingly. And I've seen this in with every client that I've met. You know, as I said, Convera is really the result of the spin-off of Western Union Business Solution. So it's a company that's been in business for a long time. And every customer that I've met will say the same thing, which is we get the flexibility of a fintech with Convera, but the service of a large bank. So we have the capabilities to service really complex need. But we have the touch of a very agile company. And then the last thing is, you know, that distinguishes ourselves is is risk and compliance. This is at the core of what we do. There's a real culture of risk and compliance in the company. We really believe in relationship with the regulators. We really believe in being very diligent about risk and compliance and in essentially abstracting the complexity that comes from these themes for our customers. Like we are here to make life simple for them even though life is not always simple, as we mentioned a moment ago, when it comes to cross-border transaction.
0: Okay. And where do you see all this headed in the next couple of years? So call it payments, call it fintech, where do you see it going, say, in the next two to three years?
1: You know, payments is by nature an industry that is driven by long evolution cycles. And so, you know, in my close to 30 years in the industry, I've had that question, what do you think is going to happen in the next two, three years so often? it can be tricky to focus just on two to three years because infrastructure evolution can require much longer to happen. For instance, think about the time it took for the PSD2 regulation in Europe to be implemented. It was almost a decade. Mm -hmm. The time it took for encryption technologies to be implemented in e-commerce also took a number of years right, to occur because many people have to coordinate what they do and what they implement. So by nature, it's driven by long evolution and Two, three years may not be the right window to think about what's going to change. But if I look at the decade window, there are certain things that are pretty clear. The megatrends that are ongoing is electronification. It started over 40 years ago, believe it or not, with the beginning of Visa MasterCard, but it's continuing. There's still a lot of payments that are made manually or made with paper. Second mega trend is sort of the democratization that is occurring with technology that is really enabling larger and larger population of consumers and businesses to participate in modern commerce. An example of that is, if you think of the type of company infrastructure today, businesses of all size have access to enterprise solution through the cloud that were really reserved to very large companies just 20 years ago. And that has profoundly changed, obviously, how businesses are able to manage themselves. And it, of course, affects payments naturally. The third mega trend for me is the ongoing evolution of the regulatory framework. Regulation of payments is increasing because the type of products uh, continue to diversify. And by the way, I think regulation is a good thing because the regulatory framework does provide stability in which to operate. But the amount and complexity of regulation is very high and is increasing and is not going to go away. Now, underpinning these three trends, electronification, democratization of advanced services in regulation, you have a central theme of technology being embedded in the heart of almost everything associated with commerce. And this is also a trend that is going to continue, You know, the move to cloud, the move to real-time payments, the use of AI to really perfect how we do service delivery. And this is why I came to Convera, because I'm a technologist at heart and I saw an enormous opportunity to accelerate the technological build of Convera and to allow it to be the leader in its space.
0: And do you think things like blockchain plays a role in other kind of technologies like that?
1: So for the record, blockchain is often associated evidently with cryptocurrencies. And I have been and I remain a crypto skeptic. And I do believe that the underlying technology, you know, distributed ledger is very elegant. The geek in me really marvel at the invention. And I think we will gradually see it being introduced. We already see it, you know, the notion of smart contracts and so on. As a pure payment method, you know, cryptocurrencies, there's a lot of questions that remain unanswered associated with actually the efficacy with which it can be implemented. And more importantly, the role of different players. Independently of those new technology, there are some very true fundamental things that don't change, such as central banks want to manage their monetary mass and therefore they want to manage the major elements of money flows. And that's not going to change with technology. So there are many different types of technology that are at play here. Cloud is a super important one because, as I said earlier, it democratizes many, many services. Therefore, through that, you know, the interaction of programmatic solutions, so cloud plus APIs, allows a lot of automation to take place. That is a super important evolution. As you tap into automation, which produces a lot of data, now what you also tap into, what you're able to do better is through different forms of AI, you're now able to service the clients through automated capabilities in much, much more sophisticated way. And then I think the evolution of the payment rails themselves, in particular real-time settlement, is going to play a really important role in the next ten years. Over time, my sense is we'll see distributed ledger find its way in the processing infrastructure, just like you know, thirty years ago, HTTPS became an important component that we don't even think about anymore in the way we interact on network, but it was not the central part of it.
0: Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you. And you mentioned some of the companies that you worked for earlier in your career, but maybe walk us through sort of the timeline and some of the roles and then how you got to your role today and why you decided to take on the CEO role.
1: Yeah, sure. I first started to work in a company that was, as I said, doing industrial equipment for chip manufacturing. It was a division of Schlumberger. And Schlumberger also had a division that was dealing with payment technologies, you know, Payment terminals, payphones, smart cards, etc. At a crucial point, in particular having to do with just the way the banking system and the payment rails were evolving, the fact that I had a deep knowledge in some of the underpinning technologies gave me an opportunity to get into the payment division. And so I held different roles in North America, really helping build a business. Then I went to Visa, where the majority of the time at Visa I spent was on building disruptive product and on innovation. I left Visa because I had startup fever, went to a couple of startups. My timing was not great because this was in 2008, 2009. So a little bit of adverse environment. And then found my way at PayPal. And PayPal, I worked a lot on the convergence of online and offline, right? So so-called omni I really think there is an opportunity to create through digital experiences a great interface for customers, whether the merchant they interact with is in front of them or is on the other side of the planet. When I joined Amazon, it was to build what is now known as Amazon Pay, which is a global payment method that allows the hundreds of millions of Amazon customers to use their Amazon wallet and to leverage the trust they have in Amazon to conduct transaction with other merchants. And while I was at Amazon, a friend of mine who is in management consulting had come to give us a presentation on megatrends, and he remarked that the rate of innovation in retail payments was much higher than that in commercial payment, and that he thought that commercial payment was due for a wave of transformation. And not long after, I was given the opportunity to advise the investors in Convera on how I would look at a company like this and They gave me the opportunity to become CEO, and it was, you know, in part because of that comment, and really my love of building new products and new businesses. That I thought it was time for me to broaden my focus from what had been a lot retail payments, you know, B two B to C, to building a platform and a set of solutions that would serve also commercial customers. We acquired the business from Western Union. Because we felt it was successful. I mean, this is a business that is, as I said, the largest non-bank. It's growing healthily. It's profitable. But I saw it as operating below its potential. I thought that what I knew well in terms of injecting new technical solution to really improve service delivery would enable us to create a great company for our customers. And that's what brought me to become CEO of Convera.
0: Okay, great. What are some things you're passionate about? So maybe one work-related passion and
1: one personal passion. Gee, you cut life in two. You know, I've actually had several, but anyway, I'm an avid fan of science fiction, whether, you know, movie, TV, books, etc. I don't go to, you know, the Trekkie conventions, etc. I really like the storytelling in science fiction. I think it's because it fits my interest at looking at things from a different angle. With science fiction, premises, very wild premises can be explored, whether like a different societal construct Or a different flow of time, and I find that liberating. I find that really it tickles my imagination, and I apply that, you know, and things that I might also do at work. So it fits with my desire to build things differently. I have a family of artists. My wife is a painter. My son is a digital artist. One of my daughters is a photojournalist, and the other is a fashion designer. I find myself, you know, very very lucky. I'm the geek of the family, and they really kind of help me broaden my perspective and sort of have a a real zest of diversity in my life. This is something that is important to me in the workplace. I'm very passionate about diversity in the workplace. I realized 15 years ago how I misunderstood the issue, and I was very lucky to interact with a number of women who helped me see how I could operate differently as a leader. And it really became something that I pushed hard. So for instance, at Convera, since we spun off from Western Union, 50% 50% of our executive team is made of women. I think it's super important. First of all, it's the right thing to do. Second, you cannot be customer obsessed if you are not representative of your customers. And third, in a world where, especially in a knowledge business, one of the way we compete is by having the best professionals on our team, it'd be ridiculous not to tap into women who are as accomplished as men. But I feel very strongly about the importance of diversity in the workplace. And then last, but not the least, on a very, very personal basis, I'm very fond of the outdoors, particular mountains. It's how I resource myself, rejuvenate myself.
0: Okay. So from science fiction to the mountains, I love the image of thinking about that. So final question here, and it's always great to get people who've been in the industry a while to get their view on this. If you have someone coming to your company just starting out, say they just graduated from college and they want to build a career in fintech, they come to you and say, hey, What do I need to do to be successful in this industry? What would you tell
1: them? I would say two fundamental things. So the first one is don't fall for shiny objects. There's always the newest crypto, this techno, that, that is going to completely revolutionize whatever. Just think about in the last two years, it was going to be the metaverse and then suddenly generative AI takes all the headline and it's as if nobody knew what metaverse is. So if you're constantly pursuing the latest shiny objects, you're going to be chasing a lot of stuff and not necessarily accomplishing a lot of things. I think what's important, technology is super important. We live in a world, as Mark Anderson said, where software eats the world. But technology is the mean, not the end. And so my first recommendation would be, always take the time to make sure you understand the customer you serve. It's obvious, and yet so often I see it not done. And I'm going to give you an example you know, of a very practical situation. So when I was working at PayPal on Omnichannel, we once had a focus group with a range of people to try to understand indeed how they were paying and the role in particular of mobile devices in their lives. And one of the interview that really stuck with me was a single mom with several kids who was low middle class, so money mattered. We had the conviction that we were building this fantastic couponing platform that would be awesome because who doesn't want to save money? And during this focus group, what we realized was that, yes, for this mom, saving money was important. But what was even more important was helping simplify her life because her life as a single mom of three was rather complicated. And that time was as important, if not more, as money. And this required us to really pay attention to how she went about you know, buying things and how she used the different tools at her disposal. It's when you listen really hard to customers that you're able to have insights that allow you to build a great product and a great business. It's not the other way around. It's not you build great technology and customers fall for it. It really has to start with a customer insight. So my first recommendation for somebody who starts in this industry is, Practice listening hard to the customer and truly understanding what they need. My second recommendation would be network and partner. Payment is a very multifaceted industry with technology, marketing, lots and lots of clients, et cetera. And so no one can do it alone. And you kind of have to sort of take stock of that, right? There are sophisticated technology like AI, there's nuanced emotional marketing. Now think of the MasterCard Priceless campaigns. There's just multi-tier delivery and partnering to reach the right customers. There's dealing with all of the different regulators and players who make this safe. And so when you need to surround yourself with people who have complementary knowledge in companies that have complementary services, and if you do that, and in particular, if you continuously have an appetite for learning with people who know something you don't, you'll be quite successful. Those would be my two advices.
0: That's great advice. Well, Patrick, we've covered a lot of ground so far about, obviously, the company, a little about your background, about the industry. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up?
1: Well, you know, I think, as I said a moment ago, we are in a seminal change right now related to the electronification of payment. The retail side, you know, consumer payments have moved faster than commercial payments. Think Apple Pay as a prototypical example of what consumers can do today, which is dematerialized. I think the opportunities for businesses big and small in so many industries to really go global is big and we're here to help. I'm excited about the future. I think that notwithstanding all of the uncertainties in the world today, I'm an optimist. The future is bright and we're here to help all of our customers accomplish their entire potential.
0: Well, Patrick, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know your time is very, very valuable, so I really appreciate you being here.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Absolutely.
0: And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social
1: channels as well.